0: All right, this episode of Arcuspeak is sponsored by RCAT. Have you heard of them? RCAT is here to remind you as you get ready for AIA 19, the Conference on Architecture in Las Vegas. You don't have to gamble when it comes to finding great product information. Don't take a chance with user uploaded BIM files.
1: Use RCAT's free library of families created by professionals. Why settle for generic or old CAD details when RCAT has up to date drawings of real products? Don't roll the dice with old specifications from yesteryear
2: and hope that the products your project needs are still available. ARCAT has powerful search engine and free, constantly updated information. That's ARCAT, A-R-C-A-T dot com. And visit them at the AIA19
0: at booth 5735. And thanks to ARCAT for sponsoring this episode of ARCASpeak. Yeah, that. And that too. Anyway, what are we talking about today? I think jump into the technology that we were alluding to at the last one, but we didn't didn't actually get to. And then I have some other stuff that I think is just kind of standout technology that we could talk about where we're talking, because the topic was the design process, right? And I think so. And so this could be kind of a thing. I, I put in a few things in here that are actually aimed at the design process. Um, as far as like brand new technology, all right. So in the last episode, we didn't really get to this part cause we we just ran out of time. But I think the thing that we wanted to bring up when we're talking about the future of the design process is just tech that we're seeing that is kind of changing the design process. So I wrote down a few things that I thought it would be worth talking about in this show, but I'd also love to hear what you guys think. And if you've seen anything, yeah. Where where do you want to start with that? Well, what did you write down? So, so there's a lot going on right now in the tech space when it comes to just working on architectural projects. For sure, I, this is kind of like the golden age of of what things that are changing. We we mentioned it, I think, in the in the last episode. But it, I really think that in the next ten years, the practice is going to be so different that it. It's going to be a little bit unrecognizable. I don't know. I don't know how you say that. Yeah. A little no, I, bit how, unrecognizable. How so? <laughs> I, I, I I tend
2: to agree with you. In fact, I comment because when my son, you know, was, was hinting that you know he might be interested in go pursuing architecture as a career, you know, I kind of told him, I'm like,
1: "There's you didn't raise him right." Well, hey, hey, I, hey! Jeez, uh,
0: gotta have a profession. Don't exactly, tell everyone to go away. <laughs>
2: It, but one of the things that I was telling him was that the profession, if he goes, pursues this profession, and, and I, I told this to, you know, we just wrapped up our uh, five months of, you know, the ACE mentoring, you know, I was telling them, I was just like, you know, you're, if you guys continue to pursue this, the careers that you guys have in architecture will be completely different than the career that I have in architecture, because you you are literally at the golden age. You are you know it's it's like you know when we were going in from the you know industrial revolution on into you know a more um technological revolution i mean that that whole we're, the doors are opening to a completely different planet of
0: of um of technology that we're I, just not going to recognize our profession a lot of that i think is based just on the because the economy is doing so well there's so much investment going on in this right now Mm-hmm. Uh, there is investment and there are people willing to spend that investment money and develop things. I don't know how willing the profession itself is to ad- adopt that kind of stuff. We're traditionally slow at adopting that stuff. So, um, you know, and, and it's – this is my job is to look at where we're going and, and try to position us to get there in, in our firm. Right. But I I really see the tug of war that goes on inside the firms too of of – You know, let's be let's stay safe. Let's let's focus on what we know. And so there is kind of this this internal battle going on. And so when I say I think the profession is could be unrecognizable in 10 years, it's if we go that it's if we let go of the rope and say, take us, take us with you. Uh, It's not going to happen if we hold on so tight until you, you pry it out of our cold dead fingers, you know,
1: Evan, I'm, I'm curious. What, what do you think that battle is? Is it a financial battle? Is it a, we're worried about, what what do you think? So there's two things that that architects
0: hate, right? It's the way things are and change. Uh,
2: I was going (laughs) to say change, 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 (laughs) like going, like going of control.
1: Yeah. So it's not very positive. Well,
0: but it's true, right? Because, because I think a lot of it is you've got a lot of boomers who are upon the verge of retirement, you know, let's just call that within five to 10 years or <clears throat> right by retirement. I mean, dry at the yeah. die at the drafting table. Um, and, and so there's definitely like a fear there of don't change it too much because either I'll be obsolete or I'll be, uh, you know, I just, I, I don't want to go into an unknowable future. Um, mm-hmm. and so I, I feel like a lot of it's just kind of an internal battle of, you know, our firms do have multi-generational staff and you've got a new young staff who's willing to try things and, and test and fail. Uh, and then you've got an older staff who is like, don't change this on me. I just finally got to the point where I'm comfortable. The economy is good. I want to retire well. Uh, and so like- I Just figured out how to open up Revit. <laughs> <laughs> and and I don't want to like, I I totally get that, right? I, I under, I'm trying to- have empathy and say like i understand both these positions and often i find myself in the position of the bridge between these these different generations right it's like trying to speak the language of both of them to each other i i feel like is a lot of the time my job to do um and i think that is kind of a gen x job i honestly is just bridge be the bridge be the bridge uh, yeah
2: yeah i agree you <laughs> know in, in a way it, uh we've i've been talking about this it's like you know we're We've all kind of been positioned where we've, we were at the threshold of the way people used to do it and the way people want to do it, you know, in the future. We were, we were right there kind of holding the door open and, you know, kind of like need to usher people back and forth between them to kind of understand where we were. Like we had talked about, you know, in previous shows to understand where we're going. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that's that's a great analogy. I mean, we I mean, like just you know, talking about the Gen Xers being the kind of the ushers.
0: Yeah, and, and so like getting back to your question, Neil, I, I, and and the the snide remark about the two things that architects hate, I, I really do feel like it's it is a self imposed kind of like we really don't like to change, and by the way, it's a big podcasting air quotes, it's architects, right? And and we also um, want we know we have to. To move into the next era, and so it is a, mm-hmm. and I think we we really still feel the scars of the last downturn, recession, depression, whatever you want to call it, uh, and we know another one's coming, and so I think we're, it's still pretty fresh in our minds, and so it's like okay, we got to stay safe, we need to in- invest in things that we know for sure are gonna are gonna matter in when that happens and and we need to be well positioned for that so that it doesn't hurt so bad and we don't have to make as large of cuts. Um, And at the same time, like the world is moving on without us. Right. So it's, it's trying to figure out because I mean, the the research shows that architecture and construction uh, is flat on the innovation curve and has been for the last hundred years. Right. Like in comparison to other fields, I mean, of course things have, have, changed technology wise for architecture, but on a very, very low rate in comparison to the other stuff that's been going on. You know, you, you live in the Bay Area, Neil, you know what it's like up there. Like it's it's ridiculous, right? right? The see, amount tech. of money being thrown at, at tech is absolutely ridiculous. And I don't I don't know that our next bubble is going to be housing. I don't know that it's going to be like a dot com type of a, a bubble. I don't know what it's going to be. I don't think it's going to be either one of those necessarily but I don't think that, like, they're definitely contributing to that, to that what, what's probably coming. And I think that there's just so much fear around that, that this is why we're stuck in this, I don't want to change, but I don't want to stay the same kind of mentality. Make sense?
1: Yeah. Yeah, it, it makes sense. I'm just wondering if, what what's going to break that logjam?
0: Uh, or maybe it's just a slow process that'll take place. It's going to be a, it's going to be a combination. Eventually. It's going to be a combination of the next economic downturn and the way that we get out of that, the recovery and the retirement mm-hmm. of, of the boomers. Right. I think right. it's both of those things.
1: But at the same time though, think about it this way. I mean, I, I get it. There is probably things that we, want to, you know, you said what, uh, experiment fail and keep trying the, the, um, we'll just say millennial, not, not in a bad term, but just the younger generation in, in the profession, uh, wants to do these things. And however, you have the, say the boomers, um, that are, want to protect what they, what they've done. Uh, what I see though, is that, you know, the, you have to keep, you have to keep making payroll, right. And and what you have been doing is is successful, and and, and maybe you're right. Maybe it is just a part of uh, fear of what's going to happen in the economy coming up, um, who knows when. Maybe we are having this post-recession fear that we're in to make these types of changes. Some firms are actually, I, I would suspect, they're making those changes. Sure. Yeah. It's maybe just not as fast as we is the say the millennials want it to be,
0: I I don't know. Oh, I think Uh, it's, I think it's our clients too. I mean,
2: yeah, I was going to, I was going to say, I mean, you know, both the clients are going to drive change and certain clients are expecting us to deliver, you know, you know, think about, think about the transition of just, you know, deliverables right now. I mean, some clients are expecting us, oh, you know, just like hand, draw me a, a, a picture and, and just kind of explain it to me. But others are saying, I want photorealistic renderings. I want, you know, mm-hmm. fly, by, you know, fly throughs. I want, you know, this yeah. animation so I can explain stuff. So, you know, you have like clients that are on one side or the other right now. And and really, when we do a better job of explaining the value of, you know, kind of like some of the at the very minimum, these, you know, um, visualization type tools and how these visualization type tools then kind of inform, you know, our delivery process then later on def- you know, inform, uh, our construction process and stuff like that. You know, that's when we really start to push the changes, but you know, not only do we need to sell, um, you know, the value of all of these things, but you know, the contractor needs to sell the value of these things. They need to see a lot of people just say, okay, I understand, you know, the traditional design, bid, build, practice, delivery method. I mean, that that's what I understand. It's comfortable. It's easy for me. And so that's what we've continued to keep doing is that kind of comfort level of things. Mm-hmm. Because we don't, going back to Evan's comment is that, you know, we don't like change because changes, I, I think we talked, you know, a while ago about some of the, in fact, we even talked about it uh, when we were uh, discussing it with the, our interview with shop is we do things a lot of times based off of what we're allowed to deliver. Yeah. And if we're allowed to deliver just a 2d set of drawings to the permitting office, we're never going to change beyond that. You know, we're just going to continue to keep creating 2d documents to send off to, you know, the permitting department. But then when we, later on get onto the construction site and they don't never rarely ever look at our 2d documents because they want to look at the, the model, but you know, we're kind of hanging our contract hat on the, um, the 2d documents, then, you know, there's a lot of disconnects that we've got to re, you know, like not just reconnect, but connect for the first time. That is, I think one of the reasons why we're being prevented, you know, in, in some of it's to our do, you know, our own doing, but being prevented to um, actually being able to innovate and change. There's you know, definitely so was, that side of it. Yeah. I, and I so would, we're totally in this weird little catch 22 where yeah. we're the maker of our own problems.
0: Yeah, I, I, I agree mm-hmm. with that. And I think that one of the things that I see as well is because of the last recession, we were forced to do the same with less. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we yeah, got yeah. really good at it. We people got very efficient and it became kind of this uh exercise in efficiency making efficiencies is everywhere we could possibly do that while the rest of the tech world and other you know adjacent professions kind of took advantage of new technology to do that (laughs) and Mm -hmm. and now we're kind of behind the eight ball because our clients are now coming to us and saying hey what What's next? What are you doing that's exciting? What are you doing that's going to help us make these decisions that's, you know, they're looking for the new shiny thing. I mean, just right, say right. it, right? And, and yeah. we don't have the answers. And I think that we're not used to being in that position. Usually we are in a leadership position when it comes to driving these projects forward. And now when you have a client coming to you and kind of putting the spotlight and saying, show us what you've got. And all you've got is internal processes that make the thing that you do competitively better. That doesn't impress them because that's Mm -hmm. just normal. That's just what everybody does. And so I think that there is some of that pressure. There's a lot of that pressure from the client side now saying, what do you have? Why should I pick you? Um, and, And you can't just say, well, we're just as good as everybody else with all of these the way that we do things we actually have to be better in some way or have something that you know i hate i hate it but like the differentiator what what does make you different what does make you better and because right. they're having a hard time deciding between which firms to go with because there is so much similarity there's so much capability uh so so why what's going to give them peace of mind to choose you how are you being a leader in that way
2: well then that also just in this is a side thought that just popped in my head but you know if you can talk about like, you know, what sets you apart as a leader, then that sometimes helps you overcome the things like, oh, you're a little bit more expensive than these guys. But, you know, I'm able to get more out of you for that a little bit more. Because <laughs> we're always, you know, you're always up against the fact, and, and I don't want to go in this route, but, you know, you're always up against the the fact that clients spending money and they don't fully understand what they're spending the money on. And so uh, they say, okay, you know, Neil wants to charge me $150 and Evan wants to charge me a hundred dollars. Why don't I just go ahead and go with Evan because Evan's just cheaper, but you know, Evan may not be able to deliver the same type of product in the same type of expectations that, you know, Neil can. And, but Neil has to, sit there and spend most of his time of that $50 extra explaining to you why he's better. And that's why you want to spend that much. Well, you have to show where your value is. I mean, because it it doesn't just go down
0: to, to, I mean, I think what we're seeing is that people are willing to spend money if there's value there. And and because you can always get, find a cheaper architect. (laughs) We all know this. (laughs) You can find a cheaper drafting service. There's a title of the show. Um, But, but it's like that, that's, that shouldn't be what, if we're in this for the long game like the race to the <laughs> bottom is a short race right so yeah you yeah. you can't you cannot get stuck with that mentality of how can i reduce fees unless you actually have like some amazingly efficient way to do that where it doesn't hurt your business right um but i i think most of the time reduced fees and stuff actually just hurt the business and they they hurt the profession overall it devalues everybody it doesn't just devalue yourself so there are definitely people out there with kind of short-sighted mentality where they will they are willing to cut or do this for free or do it for cheap or do it you know to get something better in the future but they're also devaluing their competition they're devaluing the profession and i don't think enough people think about it that way and and so when i when i think about the future and of the design practice. And I think about where we're headed and talking about where our value lies, which we touched on on the last episode, we have to come to terms like together as a profession that we want there to be a profession in the future. Right. And we have Mm -hmm. to figure out how we're going to do that together because I think working in individual silos of each company and, and we're all, we're so highly competitive, it really is kind of hurting the overall profession in that way. And there are things that I've participated in, like large firm roundtable, which is the AIA's large firms on the mm-hmm. on the technology side, at least, where people are talking about working together and they are talking about sharing resources. And, and that gives me some hope there. So, I, you know, we could we could go in a lot of directions right now. But but I think like so, when you're just talking about overall value, we there are technologies that will raise our value. And then there are things that will make things more efficient. And we have to kind of move in the same direction at the same time which is incredibly difficult when there's there's people trying to protect their retirement, there's people trying to, you know, they're getting sucked up by the Googles and the Facebooks and the WeWorks and the, you know, the high valuation mm-hmm. VC funded work that's going on out there. I mean, there's just so many things pulling at us. And then there's the agencies right. Right. keeping us where we've always been with the 2D submittals and all that kind of stuff. All right,
1: so So what a good future. Well, I was going to say Is some of this technological change, and this is, uh, there's something I want to touch on here that we didn't get to last time, but is some of this technological change going to be driven by outside sources? In other words, they're not going to come from within the firm making changes. It's going to be people on the outside possibly, you know, had worked for firms and had a better idea that firm's not interested in that idea or maybe they even they are interested but their firm's job is to get the work do the work make the money do that not side develop this 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 technology and so are people from outside the profession going to create technology that then we're going to start using to create these efficiencies and move us into a technological they, future.
2: They s- before we let the technologist <laughs> talk, I, we sort of already are. I mean, there yeah. are people already out there outside, not just on the peripheries of the AEC, you know, industry, but you know, in the technology industry that are. Seeing that we are not cutting it. We are not doing, you know, what we could be doing. They just see that the so, opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. So they're, they're doing it for
0: us. Yeah. I mean, they're, well, they're, like, they're not doing it for fun. us. They're doing it in spite of us. And, and they're going to, that, sorry, that's what I meant to say. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. The future is wide open as far as they're concerned. Right. They're like, yeah, yeah. go ahead and hang back. We'll show you yeah, how like, it's done right. and we'll oh, reap you... all the rewards for that. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking of something
1: I'm using, which is a service called plan grid, sure um, that I'm using to do my punch lists yep, or, yeah, and me, me too. Um, for yeah. me, I mean, it's fantastic. So there's a service there now that could that have been done internally or developed, uh, possibly, but you know, that it didn't. And so now that's, there's that. And now there's, uh, something else I think would be kind of fun to talk about a little bit, but certainly on the new technology side is upcodes. Uh, and what they're offering, uh, um, developed by architects developed. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, um,
2: well, I mean, there's a lot of this yeah. stuff that is developed by architects. I mean, how Revit was created by architects, you know, plan grid was an offshoot, um, that wasn't created, you know, it was created by, um, basically architects and in, in contractors and stuff that, you know, saw the deficiencies of the stuff that, you know, we were using, Upcodes created by architects. So there are stuff that is being created, but there's also, you know, and, and we can talk a little bit further specifically about Upcodes because, you know, I, um, I got some thoughts on that. But, I mean, you know, it's it's something that's getting pushback from just the standard industry because it's an innovation yeah. that they're like, oh, but now you're infringing. It makes me
0: uncomfortable. Exactly. It makes my paycheck uncomfortable. Yeah, totally.
1: Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just want to make a quick note that some of this sort of stuff isn't practically new. It's, well, I mean, we mentioned plan we mentioned UpCodes. Uh, neither one of those, uh, or, or I should say what I'm trying to get at is that creating technology like this to make other architects or be able to share with other architects to improve the profession overall is not a totally new thing mm-hmm. i mean you guys have heard of archie what is it archie office mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um has uh been bought out by another mm-hmm. larger company and still offered and has developed over the years but that was started by an architect in his office right. and slowly grew and then eventually ended up spinning it into a separate business and he left the profession and went and did that so and that that took place, you know, over the past 20 years. So this isn't something that's new just in the last few years. People have been doing this sort of stuff to improve the technological side of our profession uh, has been happening for a long time.
2: Right,
0: right. I think that the firm of the future needs to diversify its offerings. And I think one of the ways they could do that is by creating things that scratch their own itch that could become productized for the rest of the profession or their customers. And I'm seeing firms do that. Uh, It's definitely the kind of thing that, that I think firms should be thinking of when they're, when they're trying to like plan a a path to the future, because we have to, I think at least my firm, we're an ESOP, right? So employee owned. Mm -hmm. And, and when you're talking about an ESOP, and everybody's an owner, I would think that people within an ESOP should be demanding that their firm is investing in R&D for the future so that they're around in the future. Uh, because if, well, if, that if they're not, an interesting, if they're not, yeah. if you're just going to continue to do things the way that you do things and, and hopefully better, right? Like, honestly, but, but, you can't guarantee that. Like, I think I, it was really interesting. Uh, shout out to Cherise Lakeside. She works at LSW Architects up in Vancouver, and they have an incubator in their company where they incubate cool ideas by their staff. And they actually even provide a space for them. And they say, you know what? Stop doing this project architect thing. That idea is awesome. Go try it out for a year. Work in this other space that's not on the, the same cube that you've been in. Um, on the same projects mm-hmm. that you've been in because it's too hard to kind of divorce yourself from that kind of stuff, right? You can't really split your mentality when it comes to a big mm-hmm. new r and d project and they they are doing that and they've they've created like a an electric commuter vehicle system like this pod that goes from business to business and picks people up and drops them off and it was it's all done within their architecture it's like under the umbrella of their firm, but they have this mm-hmm. this side thing that they started, and they're coming up with ways to incubate. Future businesses that continue to contribute to the overall LSW Architects umbrella—it's super cool, right? And and to me, like, not every idea is going to succeed, right? But it's being willing to invest in possible futures that are different from what you're doing now, so that there you're guaranteed at least somewhat of a business in the future because you you could have these other companies come in, like. Autodesk could completely change its business model, right? The company that we probably rely on the most. Um, You're talking Mm -hmm. about upcodes and the ICC and, you know, who knows what's going to happen with the International Code Council and this lawsuit that they filed against upcodes and if it's going to stifle the innovation or if it's going to break it wide open. Like there's just so many things that we don't know how things are going to go. Um, and and technically, like, architects are probably seen as red tape to almost every building owner out there, right? If they didn't have to uh, yeah. deal with us, they won't, right? Like, people find a way, right? Life finds a way. If If they see what we do as waste, even if it's necessary waste for the time being, like, it's not going to be waste in the future. It's not going to happen. And so I kind of think, like, if you're not trying to find innovative ways to do things that are very much future thinking— I don't know that you're going to be around unless you're a really small business in a really niche market and you do things a certain way that people seem to really love and you can wade through the storms of economic downturns um, with that same business model no matter what. I just – with the larger or the mid-sized firms, I don't know how they can do that. I mean obviously the, the really big firms are just buying everybody they can. And buying all those clients and buying all that work so that they have a future. But man, talk about feed the machine kind of a mentality know, at right? that point.
1: Yeah. Well, let's take a second. Let's we've mentioned UpCodes a few times for those who may not know what it is. Uh, let's let's at least mention what what that is.
0: Yeah. So UpCodes is a website and a Revit plugin that basically allows you to do automated code checks. That's really kind of the basis of the business uh, on Mm -hmm. your Revit model. So, and it doesn't check for everything. It just checks for a few categories that they've been able to figure out. Right. So like accessible clearances and yeah, jump
2: in. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, it it does that, but you know, I mean, a lot of times, and and I was talking with somebody and I think I might've even been talking with you guys about it, that a lot of times we live within the exceptions. Yep. Um, and so it doesn't really check exceptions nope. and things like that, but at least it informs you of, okay, say you are dealing with a ramp and it's going to send you to, you know, cause I, I was literally just doing this, this past weekend with, or not this past week with a guy in our office. And, you know, we were trying to determine whether or not the handrail projection into a ramp that turns, you know, and all the different handrail requirements and all that other stuff. And so you know looking at upcodes uh we've looked at it and so it can tell you whether or not there are whether or not your code is is or your handrails are meeting that code but it doesn't ex- you know it doesn't really like say okay you know yeah it meets the uh you know um 1014 point mm-hmm. you know 3 point whatever um it meets that but it doesn't explain to you like the exceptions and that you know where I was looking for exceptions it at least guides me to a point where I understood exactly where I was needed to look. And then I just do the little bit of extra work, um, to determine whether or not I conform to the overall code with the exceptions, or if I'm, you know, just not co- code compliant at all. But, um, back to what you were saying and just to kind of like explain it big time is, you know, it is both a plug in and um just a, a website you know i've i've more been using just the you know the web based service of it which is phenomenal because you can you search the can, code <laughs> you can search the code in in as much amazing as how innovative um, that is <laughs> and, and, as, and as much as the icc you know code website is fine it still seems a little stale and stagnant in you know versus and because like I'll Go into up codes and let's say building code um, 2015 of Maryland. Maryland uses the I, you know, the IBC 2015. So I can do a fully searchable thing like that. Then it also like takes me through and it shows me all of the different resources for it. And yeah. it's a it's a good innovative kind of
0: code search. Well, they've taken the user into account, and I think that's why exactly. people gravitate toward this, right? Versus the ICC yes. and their BS lawsuit, which you know, I'll just say what I think about that, but it's it's like the ICC is trying to protect this copyrighted law, which to me is a total oxymoron, right? The, <laughs> but but anyways, I, I, UpCodes is trying to take the architect into account here and make it easy for them to access the information in a way that makes it not like the worst part of their job, right? Just to be mm-hmm. blunt about it. and And so- yeah. And so, like you're saying, like the UI/UX kind of mentality of iPhone and Android apps that's come out of the last ten years of of software development is informing the way this website works, right? Which right. the ICC is not, right? Because they're living in, they're just trying to protect what they have and what they've had, and and this other company is coming along saying there's got to be a better way to do this, uh, and then to put on top of that, this kind of automated checking of a model for a few yeah. things is just making it even more valuable because it's saving me time. It's giving me hot spots to look at. Obviously I still have to think of what my it interpretation is and, and what my argument's gonna be for potentially somebody seeing a problem in a certain area. But it but it brings those to light in a very fast yeah. way that I didn't have to, to look for myself, right? So
2: Because at the very least, you know, when that client is sitting there and they're saying, you know, okay, um I want to swing this door this way. And at the very least, you got this plug in, and you're sitting there and you're surfing around with them right in front of them. And they say, okay, why, you know, why can't I swing this door this way? And you literally click on the door and it'll like give you an, a, the error of like, oh, you swung it that way. Well, that door swings into based off of the, you know, the width of your corridor that you're trying to swing into, it'll give you an error and it'll actually tell you the code of why you can't do that. Because How many times do I sit there and Neil, I don't know if you do the same thing, but when we're talking to a client and they ask us why we can't do something and I'm telling them because of code, you know, code reasons why we can't do that. And they're like, well, show me in the code. And I, you know, (laughs) we'll sit there and show them in the code. Um, But I mean, it's a laborious effort to get all exactly. (laughs) It's this laborious effort to get to that point. And I can just uh, say, I'll get back to you on that. Right. Well, I right. mean, yeah, because exactly.
1: Unless you've got it memorized.
2: And, you know, the, thankfully, you know, I'm I'm walking around with the, the Ching uh, Building Construction Illustrated books. You know, mm-hmm. we have a few of those in our office that, you know, like especially our sp- specific team has. And, you know, so we can like every time we walk into a meeting with somebody, we're always at least carrying that so that. You know, since everybody's like visual learners, they're like, you know, tell me why we can't do that. I'm like, I will tell you why. I can show you why. Yeah. Um, here. Yeah. And it takes a little while, but, you know. Definitely I
0: mean, speaks their language better.
2: You know, and you can almost guarantee that the reason why, you know, um, the old uh, ICC is all up in arms
0: about this is they look at it and they're like,
2: holy crap, why didn't I think of that?
0: Well, I mean, it's, it's like, part that. It's now part they're collecting all the money, right? And they want to keep yes, collecting exactly. all the money. So
1: that, it's really exactly, that's really what it comes I was down going. to. Yes. So the question is, can you copyright the law? Well, yeah. And, and the question is, do we want to right. get into that? <laughs> because, well, well, no, <laughs> I mean, we don't need to get into it. But I mean, that's the question of the lawsuit is basically the ICC writes the code, which mm-hmm. is the law that everybody has to follow that, that everybody has to follow and they're using that text yep. and making it more accessible, essentially. So, so, right? here,
2: so here's the, here's, I guess, the conversation and yeah. Yeah. I and mean, you're probably right to, we really want to get into this. So I don't, think I, I do. can, un- I can understand their, their, you know, argument It's like, you know, you're, you're publishing something that I wrote, but, but it's, it's the law, but it is an adopted law. So that you have to, follow. you know, right. Like I can sit and quote, you know, all day long, the constitution that I didn't write, but because it's not law. I get to quote it all the you know all the time, yeah public you know, without right. without- yes, exactly, without repercussion right. and so I, so I mean you know, I can understand their initial argument, but once it becomes a law, it is public domain, it's yeah, stupid,
0: sorry
2: yeah, you know no, you're, you're totally right and and to me so this kind of goes back to the conversation that we have about why it's so hard to innovate. Yes. in you know the AEC community is because we're basically blocking ourselves from innovating because whereas you know the ICC should look at up codes and say okay great maybe we sign like you know some agreement where you know right. you know partner up with them that you know they're losing an opportunity to innovate totally. just because somebody's stepping on somebody else's toes mm-hmm.
1: or at least no, they a don't. Perce- or perceived toes they don't why why I mean, yes, there's a the opportunity to innovate, but uh, they're not paying for this information and ICC is generating this information and they are gonna keep all the money. Why why mm-hmm. should they partner up with somebody else to do this? Or I mean they could do it themselves. Um but you know, I I just think it's an interesting um it I agree. It's probably not something you can do to copyright law, but at the same time, they're creating this stuff, they put but it out there and they're... somebody else is now basically using that to generate money. So, you know, it's an interesting well, question, of you know,
2: laws that are being created. Yeah, actually, I think that's part of the issue yeah.
0: too, is that, is that because they're a VC funded company, Upcodes is that they're doing all this for free right now. Nobody knows what their future kind of monetization well, will that's be true. so.
2: Right. That's obviously
0: true. they're going that's for a market true. share and and innovative stuff uh, and uh, you know presumably they'll be charging in the future because it'll be a, a it'll be the thing that everybody wants, right? I mean obviously that that's why they're doing this too. I mean they're not just doing it because it's a better way to do it. They're also doing it to be the first ones to do it. So sure. Yeah, they want they want to get that market corner it for sure. Uh, but it's definitely a, it it
1: what's interesting about this is that as far as new technology it's it's really kind of using web-based technology essentially to
0: modernize our access to the code. Well, yeah, the foundation and, of the web is equal access right? for all, right? I mean, it it's it's right. open, right? So they're trying right. to build on that platform instead of the the closed nature of But I mean what's been there. When you look at the
1: the code, you could you could buy the books Yep, and 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 or you could buy a PDF at one point, right? Or everything on a CD-ROM. Or you can buy a web access, right? Oh, you can buy a web access. Okay, yeah. but is it I, now? I've never done that. I don't. Well, uh, there's products is like Madcad. Efficient.
2: Yeah. So we yeah. so
1: we have a subscription
2: to Madcad. Madcad, you know, depending on okay. the number of uh, it's, you know it's logins very expensive. that you have. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And and what you. Like there's like s- several different levels of like, you know, access to certain things. Like, you know, do I want access to all the different code, you know, like uh-huh. the entire IBC suite, you know, do mm. I want, you know, and think about like the additional subscriptions to things like, um, having, you know, different, like, like the fire codes and all these other things and, and, you know, mm. the, and so, yeah, so you can go to, to Mad Cat is, is one of the ones that we use that we've got subscriptions for. But I mean you have those and those are the things that and I don't know if how MadCad is um like whether or not how they are um like any different in a way than unless MadCad is, you know, associated with Paying for it. it. I mean Maybe they're paying for Oh it. they are, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So maybe that's what right. So I'm I, I just logged into MadCad and you know it's like the paid content right. is is you know ashrae you know astm you know icc IEEC, you know um, like all these different you know nfpa Boma, uh, smacna yeah.
1: usgbc you know you name is it, it as like, convenient or easy to use as what upcodes is currently offering no i mean it is
2: it's basically a searchable document and it's a database. It right? ha- yeah. It's a database. And so, like, you know, okay. if I go in and I type in, like, aisleway ramps, just like I went over to UpCodes and I'm sitting here and I'm, like, and I typed in, you know, um, the search for aisleway ramps, it UpCodes gives me the same information, and it, you know, is a navigatable part of the code. You mm-hmm. can, like, you know, surf through, and MadCAD somewhat does the same things. I will say that both on the know is it aesthetically more pleasing and a lot easier to surf through upcoats seems to be a far more user-friendly than mm-hmm. than madcat is because madcat is very you know just like it's database it's just a database I um see. so it, it's it's um you know so you you flip through and all this other stuff but you know um so
0: you're saying MadCat's more windows 95
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah windows yeah yes
0: Windows ninety eight maybe. <laughs> Windows three
2: point <laughs> one. So I mean, if you if you go on to just MacHead and you look at the way that the like the database is to surf it and all that other stuff, it is very you know it's like, awful. You know, yeah, it is. It is. It's it's, and it's. As hard, (laughs) sometimes as daunting and painful as, you know, the code book is to sit there and flip through it. And even Mm -hmm. if you've got the commentary code book, but there is something about the ability to be able to take up codes, plug it into your model. And it literally like search your model with their, you know, their AI engine Mm -hmm. to like search through and say, okay, you know, Neil, you just drew this door. Guess what? That door isn't in compliance. Why isn't any in compliance mm-hmm. is because of this.
0: What's interesting to yeah. me is is also kind of mm-hmm. the thing that I don't think people really talk about when they talk about a thing like this is that you're uploading data to Upcodes yeah. and Upcodes is obviously using that data to train through machine learning their AI engine that you talked about. And right. so it, why is this service quote unquote free? Because we're training it. Just like when you get that capture document on a website to log in and it's like prove you're a human by clicking on all the traffic lights and you you're training Google's self-driving car engine <laughs> Yeah. when you do that this is the same thing you're providing data to them and uh, to be later charged for right for this service of course so you're providing your data for free and that's probably in the end-user license agreement that you click yes on because you don't read it but you're providing that data to them to train their system to be right. better and more useful for us in the future but realize that the trade-off is that, that it is going to be charged for at some point, and, and they're using your data to do that if you decide to to be a part of this. So that is kind of like the truth behind so many of these things nowadays, right, where they're mm-hmm. quote-unquote free while the thing is being trained, and then once it's deemed good enough, it will be released for a, probably a pretty expensive uh, ticket, you know, to, to ride that train, so— you know, you, you look at it and it's just like,
2: it's got all codes, code, um, update inserts, uh, local amendments, you know, full search capability, section bookmarking, project page collaborations, account administration panels, concurrent users. And then it just kind of keeps going on and on, and on and on But I mean, it's like all these different things that basically, you know, if you walk around and look at like all of probably yours, just like our code books that I like, give all these little tabs right. of all these right. different things. Mm-hmm all these other things you know and you're doing all of this stuff and this is kind of sort of offering a very similar thing to it but in probably a less more intuitive and in f- and kind of a learning base um you know background than um what we're doing so it's basically taking everything that we've been doing you know as analog you know, code in an analog way in, right in an, in an analog world and putting it as a digital. AI based thing that will help everybody. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting so to me. These? I honestly
0: feel like this this to me is the most valuable future that we could build for ourselves and be a part of building, mm-hmm. and a reason why we would choose to support a thing like this or a thing like Hypar, um, which is a new service that's being developed from the guy who created Dynamo for Revit and and a partner, uh, Anthony Hawk and and Ian Keo. Uh, they're they're developing this thing called Hypar, and basically the idea is like open sourcing a lot of this information. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying UpCodes is open sourcing it, but but like just thinking about it from that mentality where it's like the building blocks of architecture need to be available to all architects, so that we don't continue to live to live in this non-innovation way because everybody's doing it their own way. Everybody's building their own systems. You know, and so they're trying to build these platforms that enable all of us to get to the end result faster and do more with less so that we can spend more time doing great architecture. And like when I'm thinking about like the tools that I'm building in HMC's digital practice, not just me, but my team, um, it, we're trying to create things, initially at least, that were the low-hanging fruit so that you could spend more time doing the thing that you really want to do, right? So right. I, I honestly, I feel like that's really where these platforms are headed and why we should be excited about them and not be scared by them is because they ultimately, I think, will make us more valuable. But, but there needs to become a tipping point at which the majority of firms out there support this kind of thing so that they can work to our benefit and that we can all use them to our benefit and realize that that is not really where... We need to be protecting some particular IP um, because everybody. That's like this is like baseline standard stuff, standard of care kind right. of stuff, man. Like, like, could we please get beyond this so that we can change the world with our architecture and not get mired in this, uh, you know, the this lawsuit ridden, you know, mm-hmm. risk environment, this high risk environment that we're we're so scared of, and and we're constantly pushing farther and farther out in front of us instead of just dealing with it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, think about it. What does every single solitary building constructed, at the very minimum in our country, needs to be? Code compliant. Mm -hmm. So if that's the baseline that every building has, the bare minimum, why not make that part the easiest part? And yeah. why not make that one, let that just be just a standard that everybody uses and, and just kind of move on. Now, how do we, how do we get people to embrace things like that? You know, the biggest thing is, is that if you were able to generate, and I, you know, I think we've had this conversation before, but if we haven't, you know, it, we should, is what is one of our biggest hurdles? The code officials, mm-hmm. In being able to sit down th- with them and literally walk through an entire model with them, with some an AI that when they say, you know, hey, I don't believe that this is, um, you know, code compliant, and you pull it up and you can highlight why. You know, you feel it is, and then, you know, like... Or you could take you two like weeks with back-and-forth
0: emails and and visits to... <laughs> two oh weeks. Oh, my God. Wow, you're being generous. Yeah, <laughs> six weeks, <laughs> six months. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, like, you know, honestly... Setting up like, a meeting to,
2: you know, figure out who's going to be in that meeting, yeah. then, you know, coming to a meeting, then coming back to a meeting. What you're saying and is, These are just the pre meet Let's address this and move on quickly,
0: right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah.
2: amazing concept there. And, and think about how much, you know, their life would be so much easier, because... You know why does something take upwards to six months to review? I mean, we're building in on our project right now. We're building in almost
0: a year for review process. Yeah, a year. Well, I bet you they're scared to death of this kind of thing too. Right. It's not going to get gonna rid take of my job. Yeah. I mean, it would just be able to make. I mean, it's augmented. It. That's what I. That's how I present this. It's it's augmented it designers. It's <laughs> augmented qa qc it's it's all the
2: city makes money off of the off of the review process you've got to pay your fee you've got to take it in there and you've got to go through the whole process and if it takes x amount of time to review this project they're only getting paid for that one particular project so if they can say all right well you know i can handle like maybe five in a month and then you have give them the and you charge you know hundred dollars per those five. Now you just made 500 bucks, but now you're like, Oh, well I can do five in a week or I can do 50 in a month. Well, guess what? Now you've made that much more money if you charge the
0: same amount. So you're well, actually, and you're, you're to, to bring it back to that 30,000 foot level, you're putting more, hopefully good architecture in the world by doing that faster oh, and more efficiently. Yes. <laughs> right? Like yes. like if you bring it back to like that basic tenant which we talked about in, in our last episode too which was if we can focus more on that early stage design and that design mm-hmm. intent mm-hmm. and delivering that over and over and over again you're going to be putting better stuff out there that actually deserves to exist. I yeah, would hope we,
2: I will I will say that, you know, like I've got people working on our team that spend a lot of time I mean, a lot of time on doing the code research and creating code sheets and doing all of these things and ensuring that everything is meeting code compliance and all that other stuff. And if I can take all of that time that they spend on these big projects from doing all of this code research and finding out whether or not the building's in code compliance and all the little details are in code compliance and basically automate at least that portion of it. And put those people's time and effort into making a better building. Right. I would much rather do that. Totally.
0: You gotta, you gotta kind of pull back, and you gotta look at it from that level, though, to be able to, yeah. to see that as a potential future. Man, I, f- I feel like I feel bad. We didn't actually get to <laughs> some of these other <laughs> cool things. We, we really went down the the code tangent there, but. Maybe worth just mentioning, and people, well, we could provide but, some links to some other cool tech that, you know, is is really starting to shape the future of the design process. Yeah, and
2: I don't think we're not
0: going to not talk
2: about them in future episodes and stuff. But, I mean, what I think we sort of focused on in the codes, really, to be quite honest with you, at the base level... It's a good place to start, actually. ...is a good example of why... We're so slow to be able to adopt things because of all of the different roadblocks that kind of like stand in our way and give us an example of why sometimes we don't spend a lot of time in innovation because, you know, we know that there are so many other forces out there that kind of prevent us from doing some of the things that we probably really
0: know that we want to do. Yeah, but I would also argue that there are tons of things that we can do right now that don't have the kind of risk that, that we're talking about. And we still don't do those either. Yeah because true. they're a new way of that doing things, a different way of doing things. They're not making the, the way we already do it more efficient all the time, even right. though a lot of them are. Right. Um mm-hmm. and, and we get we get fearful, we get comfortable, you know, and, and one of the things that I one of the things that just came to my, to to light recently when I was at a at our all firm event that we just had, um, where everybody from all of our offices came together for a day, we had a keynote speaker. Mike Robbins, who wrote a book called Bring Your Whole Self to Work. And one of the things that he, it, it was kind of a nuanced way of the old, a way of communicating the old cliche of getting out of your comfort zone, right? Which, mm-hmm. which is easy to say. And a lot of people agree with that. But then, you know, it also kind of brings to mind, like, how, how do you really get out of your comfort zone completely? It's like <laughs> jumping out of your comfort zone and now it's back over there and I don't need to worry about it anymore. It's not like that, right? It's, he said, you lean into your discomfort. And I thought that was a really great way to put it because it it first of all it acknowledges that there will be discomfort when you're trying to do these new things and and right. that we need to address that and and just say that out loud but but agree that it's going to be uncomfortable. There will be discomfort. Let's lean into it let's see what happens and let's start taking on some some things that are going to impact us in the future in in potentially huge ways like we said when we started the show out like i don't think that in 10 years that this is going to look anything like it does right now and and even when i was teaching the class at Cal Poly and i was basically you know emerging technology talking about all of the jobs that exist now that did not exist 5 years ago and bringing in people to talk about these things and and these were not jobs that existed in architecture five years ago in the next 10 years this constant evolution this ramp that we're on that is not the giant um sea change of hand drawing to cad or from cad to bim or what we most people are just doing 3d drafting right but it's it this Mm -hmm. is an actual continual evolution it's not a big step and i think that this is like the hockey stick part of the graph that we're on all of a sudden where it's it's going to be you, – you can't compare what we're doing now to what we're going to be doing in 10 years. It's going to be that different. And, and so if you're not kind of leaning into your discomfort with that and just acknowledging that constant change is the only kind of change that we're going to be experiencing from now on out. And if you don't, you really are going to not be around in the future. So you have to decide if you want to be around in the future. And if you do – you have to start enabling people to do that kind of exploration and that take that initiative and run with it. Because man, if they're willing to run with that discomfort and be and live in that space, then allow them to. Right? Because if you don't, I mean, the there are very high chances that you just won't be around anymore, or or you're gonna just be racing to the bottom, right? You're gonna be trying to do it for less and less, which we all know. Like, if if any if history shows anything it's that we actually put more time into our projects now than we used to we design to yeah, more I a higher totally level of detail than we ever used to and that's being hmm. demanded by the clients and by the contractors and you know if you don't have every little thing shown in those models then it then it's not going to get built like that right so if we're going to be yeah. doing that if we're, that's also something that we need to be very aware of if if we're going to continue to operate in that way where where we do take projects through completion uh, man you're you're talking about you've got to give people the opportunity to to experiment and figure these things out and potentially fail because if you don't you're going to get left behind the dire the dire truth i think but i think it's worth saying out loud yeah yeah but i think there's tons of opportunity out there man and i think why you don't have to allow somebody else to to figure it out for you you have the the ability to you probably have people working for you right now who who want to do this stuff and it's just kind of exposing that um, unseen talent or desire and just getting to know your people better so that you can find out if they have those tendencies and, and chances are you have people already in your office who do. Right. Cause I mean,
2: there are a variety of different like interest within the architectural world that, you know, provide us. Um, yeah. I mean, You know, there's somebody sitting in your office right now that says, you know, would I much rather be, you know, developing some uh, automation to our software to make these toilet room details that you're asking me to draw um, a lot easier. Over and over and over again on every single project. Exactly. Or do you want me to just keep drawing them over and over and
0: over again on each project? Yeah, exactly. Things like that. And, And again, like that isn't cool, like on the outside world for clients because yeah, everybody does that, right? it's expected um but <laughs> right, right. but there if you don't do that stuff you go out and promise clients that you can do great stuff if if the infrastructure isn't in place to deliver the great stuff if people don't speak the language that you're speaking externally internally then you're screwed right so you you do have to do both you can't just you can't just pick the what I call the the rainbows and unicorns that look really great on the outside. You you actually have to do the hard work on the inside too, so that everybody can come with you. Because if you can't, you'll never deliver the stuff that you want to do that you want to impress your clients with. So it it is a double-edged sword. You got to, you got to go down both paths at the same time.
2: And our clients are becoming more sophisticated now and they are expecting that. Totally. Totally. Because they're forced to do the same. Right. Exactly. (laughs) You know, it's, I mean, we've got clients that are multifaceted, multi-headed, different boards and things like that, that we have to deal with. And they're, they're innovators in their fields and they're looking for us to deliver something and be the innovators and, you know, in our field and show us something different. Say, okay, a building is a building. Show us how this building is more than a building and show us how you've innovated the way we do things. So that, you know, it's just not just bricks and mortar, but it's bricks and mortar that have a little bit more substance and data driven and
0: and so on and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe, maybe next time we can get to even more of these cool tools of uh, the future of our profession. But uh, for now, I think let's call it a wrap. All right. Wrap. All right, so real quick, I want to give you guys a quick rundown of what I just experienced. I just got back from New York. New
1: York City. New York City. New York City. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Pace picante sauce.
0: Oh, man. I haven't heard that in a long time. (laughs) Yeah, so uh, I was. I I put in a proposal to speak at this conference called AEC Live. It's put on by Building, Design, and Construction magazine, which they do some really cool stuff. They they have an online magazine. They have a print magazine. HMC has been featured in it before with different articles, so we've definitely kind of established a relationship with them over the years with our communications team. But um, I submitted for a talk there. Um, HMC, our regenerative design group, spoke there last year, so – we kind of knew what it was like. And so I submitted a talk and, and it's really about kind of like what it's similar to what we're talking about in our episodes where it's the future of AEC and they really want to highlight kind of the what's next. And so I thought it was, I wanted to try to do something completely different than that, which was not, I mean, I'm not showing off a tool. I'm not showing off um, you know, a piece of software. I'm not, talking about a new process. I'm talking about how do you change? I I wanted to kind of give an authentic kind of vulnerable talk of how do you change a 79 year old firm, uh, via, you know, digital transformation. How do you transform a firm into the digital age? Not that we're not doing digital stuff or haven't been, I mean, we've been doing this stuff for a long time, but, but how do you start to think like a startup or how do you start to think like, um, modern, you know, firm of the future, because there's so many firms out there who want to do the same thing, right? I mean, right. you're talking about the 1% that go to these conferences who are showing off these new tools, who are those firms um, or those startups or, you know, those consultants who are doing that kind of thing versus the the other, you know, I, th- I think I, I worked it into my talk, but I had heard right before I went up, like I heard it that morning that, that BD plus C did did a survey and it was like 40% of firms have no clue how they're going to do it. And so Hmm. when I heard that, I, I was kind of relieved, right? Like, okay, my, my hypothesis is, is, is trending toward correct. Like, man, there's a lot of firms out there who are like, help us do this. And I, and, and my stance is I want to help you do that because even though I have no stake in your company, if we all do it together, kind of what we talked about this episode, then we have a better chance of being around in the future. Right. So that was really kind of the thesis behind it was like, let's, let's talk about it. It is kind of a pep talk an inspiring pep talk of we are changing. Um, we're 79 years old. We're figuring out how to do it. There's no roadmap. So follow along, participate, contribute. What We're going to do this together. <laughs> um, And so they accepted the talk and man, I I was pretty stressed out about it um, because then I had to deliver, right? In the beginning, it was just an idea (laughs) and then it turned into, okay, you're doing it. And, and so how are you going to do it? And, and I don't need to get into like all the details about how we actually pulled it off because ultimately I think it went really well. It was well-received. I was like fourth in the lineup um, on the first day. And so I definitely practiced a lot and kind of took a completely different approach to how I normally give talks. I think a lot of these talks and I've watched them BD plus C puts them online. Mm-hmm. So you can see the last two years of talks. Um, so kind of knowing that the audience is bigger than just the people in that room as well was also important to me when I was kind of crafting this idea. Um, but overall I wanted to take a completely different approach than the talks that I have before. So I, I really wanted it to be more about a story, like a storytelling kind of exercise. And I didn't want it to be, of like delivering data points on the graph of here's how much we have innovated in the past you know here's here's how we're measuring this and here's here's what we've seen the trends are and it wasn't i didn't want it to be like that i feel like a lot of talks about technology are like that and they're talking about um you know what i call like the hit reel <laughs> you know it's a All i right. i actually started the talk off with uh in a world you know it, this is the movie trailer <laughs> this this conference is a movie trailer for the profession, you know, where you often see the best lines and and sometimes even the plot is revealed in the trailer. It's like this is just the the highlight reel. you're seeing all this amazing stuff and and I wanted to be real with them and say it's not all like that um and and so, like let's take a step back and talk about how we actually do the hard work that's involved in changing a firm. Because it's it's important that we do, because if we don't, we're not going to be around in the future. So I, I kind of set it off by saying, you know, in a world where this conference is the highlight reel, let's talk about what it's actually like to transform a firm and the kinds of things that we can continually do, like ask ourselves, why do we do it this way? Man, we have a long history. We're very successful. We've always done it this way. Um, so we're not going to just change for the sake of change, but we're also going to say, is there a better way to do this stuff now? And I think a lot of times it, it can be something as simple as asking those questions in your firm. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, it, it went, it went really well. Um, my, my slides did not match up with what I was saying at all, which is really Bro. risky, right? <laughs> so it really does become kind of a storytelling and you've got to get the story right. And you've got to communicate all the ideas that you want to communicate within the 15 minute time limit. Um, it can't just ramble on, go, go down tangents. And I don't have any slides to really read from, which would be discouraged anyway. Right. And it wouldn't be as authentic. So that's kind of was my behind the scenes struggle was, was I, cause of my idea was to do it as a choose your own adventure, like the books that we read as kids. Right. And, right. and if you, if you choose this, then you're going to go to page 53. And <laughs> if you choose that, you're going to go to page 37. And, and so I, I had these kind of thought provoking questions up on the screen where, Not allowing the audience to choose the answer, but kind of leading it down a certain path where understanding that every choice that you make has a different outcome potential, and it's going to lead you somewhere. And so I think some of the questions are obvious, and then the other ones are are a little more nuanced, right? It's like, do you want to be around in the future? Like, that's obvious, right? Yes, we want to be around in the future. But then there's some other nuanced questions like… Like, how much do you invest? And, I, and these weren't questions I asked. I'm just kind of thinking out loud right now. But it's like we don't talk about this stuff out loud very much. Like a lot of this stuff is just kind of decided because that's how we've always done it. And we're going to continue to do it that way. But I think if you do take a step back and think about these things from a larger perspective, you might wonder why you continue to do things the way that you do if you really just say it out loud and and think about it. I don't know. I'm talking a lot. I, you guys, yeah. What are you guys thinking?
2: Uh, 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 uh. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I mean, I I was, I was curious. I mean, how, how
0: well received was it? Um, It was, as from what I can tell, it was well received. I, it's really hard. I think that's, it's funny. I I just recently saw something where, you know, Oprah has interviewed everyone in the entire world, uh, you know, from from somebody who, who did something in their community, you know, that nobody knows about to mm-hmm. a world leader. And she said that everybody always has the same question when they're done. How did I do? How did I do? Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> uh Interesting. And and so that's kind of what you walk away with when you're done with one of these things. Hey, how'd it go? And so I don't, I haven't heard any critical feedback, um, which I wouldn't be opposed to. I think that, but it's kind of like first nature to, for people to give you positive feedback. Right. So we'll see. Um, it'll go online soon. And I guess, you know, we can put a link to it when it does, but um, I'd be interested to see how you guys thought it went once you actually see it. Um, okay. But the feedback that I got right after it was, and I even got some questions cause there was a Q and a Q&A panel afterward for the first four speakers. And so when I was up there, the first question came to me. It's like, so how do you actually do this in your, in your company? Or or I'm trying to do the same thing. What, what would you see as a first step? Um, and, and so beyond that, I did have people saying, you know, I re- that really resonated with me. Um, I really liked the approach that you took. Um, and, and to me, I wanted to engage the audience and I wanted them to go away inspired. I didn't want to paint a dark dreary picture, um, kind of like I felt like we just did in this last episode but I, I wanted to inspire them and walk away like I can do this and that was really my intent with it so hopefully that happened and I mean I'll I'll, I'll wait and see to the lar- when the larger audience gets a piece of this to see what they what you guys and they think because uh, to see if that was successful because I, w- I would like to continue to give this talk and kind of become that cheerleader for, firms out there to to do this together because if we don't uh i mean i I, it's going to be an opportunity for me to tweak it and make the talk even better if i can get that some some good feedback on it so i don't know other than that new york was rainy for the most part and i got a day of sunshine where i walked around and took a lot of pictures but um it was it was pretty pretty cool to visit hudson yards for the first time since it's open yeah um you know how how did the uh, pine cone i mean vessel (laughs) Dubai in New York. Yeah. The yeah. billionaire's playground. Uh, you know, it, it was, I feel, I feel split about it. It's a neat experience for sure. Um, but it's also just like completely ridiculous, you know, <laughs> that they're spending money on that kind of stuff it, and not solving real problems. Do you,
2: <laughs> do you think that this folly is something that draws people to the, to the area that, you know, could, be a economic stimulus or I
0: mean is it just you know well, like a i mean, it's it's not like Oculus. People... it's like the it's like the Oculus. it's a it's a attractive mall it's right a very attractive it's a very attractive mall. a lot of it's a lot of all right. Awesome. So you know, I love that. Yeah. love <laughs> <laughs> that know how you it's that. lot it's a neat experience it's it's a neat experience. It definitely is a draw. I mean, they trying to limit how many people are in it at one time because it is such a an attraction right now. I don't know if it'll always be like that. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful for sure. It's eye-catching. It's a great selfie spot. It's like the 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 black hole of selfies happens right there. For sure it's it's right. the event the event horizon like once you walk <laughs> in you can't not do it. Um no no selfies will escape. But but it's one of those things where it's like is this really what what this place needed? Um, Because I love that city. I mean, and I love to be everywhere in that city. I love to walk the city and and get around and see all the different things. And like this definitely gets people to that part of the city. Um, But I think the Highline already did that in a much more successful way. Um, Mm -hmm. So was this really necessary? I, 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 you know, folly is a good word. I don't know if it's not necessary at all. And to me, it was like, it's an incredible expense. Um, and, and is it actually bringing dollars to be spent into that area? I, I kind of, I kind of don't think so. Um, not on the magnitude of the number of people who are visiting it. I mean, maybe it's bringing some, but.
2: You know, and you, then you ask, you know, like what value does it bring to the, the site. I mean, because I know that we mocked it because, you know, it's, oh, I mean, me personally, I mocked it I was like, oh, look, it just looks like a occupiable pine cone and it's just a, a thing in the thing. And I'm yeah. curious what the thinking was behind actually creating it and in it being there because, um, you know, I mean, I I've spent so much time in the past decade of like working on projects that you know are so budget conscious and and you know for you know in public schools and public you know uh welfare and benefit that you know i I see things like that albeit very cool and albeit very um interesting you know what what does it do what value does it bring is it is it
0: anything or is it just something to just be? It's kind of a it's kind of a playful thing, right? Like people are definitely definitely there to experience it and to experience it with other people. Yeah. Um I mean, I I wonder what the quantity of pho- photography is happening there at all moments of the day. It's got to be off the charts, right? Oh, I'm sure, it's insane. Um, I don't know if it'll be like that forever, but 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 yeah, did it did it need to be that expensive? Like I I always go back to like The iPhone and the and the the fart apps, right? Like, why are you why are you spending your time (laughs) making a thing that has no value to society at large? Why aren't you solving a real problem, right? With that with that effort, with that with those dollars, with with whatever. I mean, because man, New York's got them, right? It's got the problems for sure, and and Mm -hmm. so does everywhere else. But but. That to me is always kind of weighing in the back of my mind as I'm walking around this thing, trying to get to the top and, and having a good time doing it. So, yeah, it's like, and what's, what's hilarious is that they there, ha- I don't know if they had or are having this, this, um, public naming competition for it now because it, it, the temporary name they say was the vessel. So there was like some ridiculously funny, uh, twitter conversations going on about what to call this thing and they're so so funny and yet so vulgar you can't say them out loud like like hilarious stuff so just search twitter for for the vessel naming competition but and you'll find some some choice in (laughs) names uh, (laughs) so we should do that too what should we name the vessel i mean anytime you do a public naming competition for something (laughs) It I can mean, go so wrong. You, you get Bodie McBow's face. Exactly. <laughs> so, Piney <laughs> Mc
2: Pinecone face. <laughs> there, there's my contribution. stairs face. Since,
0: since I call it the pine cone anyway. <laughs> yeah. I mean it it in in the same way that the Chicago bean is um you know this what what's neat about that is it reflects the environment around it. I mean, mm-hmm. with its polished copper shell in, in the vessel's case, and with its polished polished stainless shell at, at the bean, it's like that's what's So, I I think people it's maybe it's narcissistic. People like to see themselves in the thing, um, right? I don't know if it's narcissistic or if it's just you know reflective of its surroundings in in a very positive way. You know, I um, but it, it that is probably the neatest thing about it is to watch all the people come up and stare at the thing, and they're trying to find themselves in it, and um, it, well, the bigger it is, the
2: question is, do you have a selfie of you
0: reflecting in? No, I don't. <laughs> I, did, I didn't do that. Uh, but I watched a lot of other people do that. And I think that's kind of a neat perspective to take as well. When you're doing this kind of thing is because I've, I've always kind of admired the photographers who get the shot of the people looking at the thing, not mm-hmm. necessarily the shot of the thing. Um, <laughs> because that's a reflection of, of what's actually happening in the moment. Right. Um, and so I, I did shoot some time lapses and stuff of, of people kind of walking through it and under it and, and yeah, cool. kind of staring up at it. I, I think that that's kind of a neat perspective because there's always going to be another opportunity, I think, to to experience it in different ways. Um, but I like to kind of take that perspective sometimes and watch the – do some people watching. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually have a shot of like these people who I'm up at the top and these people are looking down into kind of the, the cavern on the interior. And, and it's one of my favorite shots of it. It's just, um, you know, it's, it's trying to imagine what their experience is and what they're thinking and, and what are, what are they looking at? What are, what are they feeling? What are they, what are they, are they talking about how good this thing is or how bad this thing is? Right. I, it's, it's kind of fun to think about it from those in those terms sometimes. Anyway, overall fun trip, lots of travel and lots of rain and you know, I I love that city. I can't wait to go back again, but
2: Yeah, we were just talking the other day about how, you know, if we just want to do like a day trip, how easy it is for us just to take like a little day trip to Yeah, just take drive the train, right? Yeah. Take the train, drive up, whatever. Drive, yeah. I mean, there's all sorts of uh, stuff. So, you know, it's a it's an It's an easy one for us. (laughs) Yeah, you should. What's what's fun... Actually, what's fun and easy for us is... uh, And I was just commenting about why I do kind of enjoy the the East Coast and the opportunities that the East Coast affords is because, you know, I mean, think about just at least from, like, where I'm at, the hub that I'm at around D.C. You know, you've got all Mm -hmm. of the D.C. things that you can see. But then think about it, start radiating out into... In maybe just four hours, you know, let's just call it that, you know, it was four hour drive. I and mean, where, where can I be within four hours of all of this stuff? You know, you can be in the deep South, you can be in Richmond, Virginia, you can be on the beaches, you can be, you know, hell, Pittsburgh, you know, um, Philadelphia, I mean, anywhere in, in Delaware, you know, you can go up and you're in Jersey, you're in New York city. I mean, <laughs> it's because all, all of, these of your different- states are like little baby states. They're like, we California. are trying to overcompensate
0: <laughs> you got little postage you know, stamp states over there
2: that's oh, right man. we don't try to
0: overcompensate we just it's there like if neil and i both drove four hours we might overlap and we're in the same state
2: <laughs> i mean if you maybe if, maybe. You, dro- if you drove <laughs> south four hours and neil drove uh no, Neil drove. No, no. drew way know, way Neil drove south. Yeah. <laughs> if, Neil, if, if Neil drove south for four hours and you drew, drove north for four
1: hours, would you two meet? Yeah, I think we would. We would just. I think yeah. we would. Yeah. It'd be like, uh, bike Santa Barbara.
0: Now, now that's that's close to four hours Many of
1: our
2: east Coast friends started to drive oh. four hours, and I started to drive four hours. We could meet up.
0: We could have lunch. We could go hang out. Yeah. And go do you some stuff. you could do stuff. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Cool. Well, uh, maybe maybe the next show this the stuff will be live and you guys can have watched it and give me some uh, live feedback on the show.
2: There you go. Ooh, we could do a commentary track.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mystery Science Theater three thousand style. There you, you go. Could, we just mute mute it and you can make up what I'm saying. <laughs> Who if, sounds like if fun. based
2: off of the slides that didn't match up with your talk? Yeah, I could we, <laughs> could, give, we
0: could give a talk based off of that. Totally, and just see how that would be great. That's a great we, idea. Actually, there we go. And you would get two talks out That'd of be it. Funny, yeah. Each one of you guys, two I could talks, just send you guys the then, slides, and then you could come up with your own talks for it. And then let's see how different they could be, and give you like a ten-minute time limit. You know.
1: No, we'll do it together and just, do, you, you, your talk will be the talk you gave and then our talk will be the talk of the slides. There
0: you go. All right, cool. And then cool. we have the a- after let's dark
1: version that Cormac
0: does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Save yours for after the show. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> That'd be great. All right, let's do it. Let's make that a thing. All right. I'm there. Next time.